everyone. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor, your resource for the multidisciplinary cancer team. My name is Dr. Rahul Banerjee. I'm on the board of Oncology Data Advisor, and today it is my pleasure to speak with Dr. Meyer and Dr. Rubenstein about clonal hematopoiesis and hematologic malignancies as we speak about Blood Cancer Awareness Month. Dr. Meyer is a fellow in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of North Carolina UNC Chapel Hill. His research interests are in clonal hematopoiesis and malignant hematology. Dr. Rubenstein is a clinical assistant professor within the Division of Hematology and Oncology at UNC Chapel Hill. His research interests are in multiple myeloma and AL amyloidosis. Dr. Meyer, Dr. Rubenstein, pleasure to have you both here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So I think maybe we can just delve in into the acronyms. I feel like that's probably the biggest barrier to entry for anyone in the field who wants to learn more about clonal hematopoiesis and how it affects our patients. So can you just walk us through CHIP, CH, EAS, CCUS, and all the other terms that someone who's reading about this kind of topic should be familiar with? Yeah, so um, clonal hematopoiesis is the umbrella term for um, disproportionate expansion of hematopoietic stem cells and their progeny following the acquisition of a somatic mutation. Um, it's further subcategorized into um, entities depending on the presence or absence of a, a significant abnormality in the blood counts. Um, so you'll hear people talk about clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential or CHIP. That is clonal hematopoiesis um, with no identified uh, reductions in blood counts. Uh, then you have clonal cytopenia of uncertain significance, which is clonal um, hematopoiesis CH plus um, a blood count abnormality, specifically a low blood count um, in the absence of a hematologic malignancy. So patient has a mutation in DNMT3A, their hemoglobin's 10 and a half, but they don't have evidence of myelodysplasia or other myeloid disease morphologically. Um, another acronym I think that we'll discuss um, because it helps us think about the relative prevalence of, of CH is variant allele frequency or VAF. Um, uh, so I, I, um, that just refers to the um, percentage of the cells that harbor a given clonal hematopoiesis mutation. Um, of course, clonal hematopoiesis can occur um, in the setting of increased uh, blood counts and no, uh, no known myeloid malignancy. Um, my uh, colleagues from my former fellowship at Vanderbilt have attempted to come up with acronyms for that situation as well. Um, they're a little ill-advised. I think CHAP is one that's come up, so I'm not going to delve into that too much. Uh, but yeah, that's an entity that's also recognized and has prognostic implications beyond the scope of our review. Absolutely. Generally speaking with clonal hematopoiesis, what vast VAS are you talking about? It's not 30, 40%, for example, generally speaking, probably lower digits, single digits. I mean, there's a range. Uh, so um, it's generally lower frequency um, uh, um, variant allele frequencies 10 to 15%, but you can't have higher. Um, sure. And I think some of the studies we'll talk about show that sometimes you have higher variant allele frequencies um, in the setting of clonally unrelated malignancies. Yeah. And I think it depends on kind of your sequencing technique. So you can detect variant allele frequencies down well below 1%, but clinically how, how relevant those are, we're, we're unclear at this time. 
it's an excellent, excellent point, especially in patients with cancer that both you alluded to, where you know many many other mutations are kind of going on and hard to tell what's what with clonal and what's not. But maybe we can delve into again. This is the talk that we're we're actually giving this talk during September in the month of Blood Cancer Awareness Month. So let's talk about blood cancers and CH clonal It sounds like it's somewhat of a chicken and egg, you know, that the clonal hematopoiesis can be predisposed to patients developing blood cancers, but patients who have blood cancers have higher rates of CH. Can you talk us through kind of which comes first or is it a little bit of both? And I think it is probably a little bit of both. It's hard to determine one over the other. And I think it comes back to, which is the case in a, in a lot of instances when we're talking about clonal hematopoiesis, a kind of context dependent effect. Um, and so certainly when you look broadly, patients with CH have a much higher risk of developing a hematologic malignancy, particularly as that variant allele frequency increases. So studies have shown that if you have a VAF that's over 10%, your risk could be up to 50 times that somebody who, who doesn't have hematopoiesis in terms of developing hematologic malignancy. If you look kind of a little bit deeper, such as in cases of lymphoma, there was, a, there was an excellent study that looked at angiant immunoblastic T-cell lymphoma, which we, we talked about a bit in the review. And it's, it's interesting there that kind of if you, if you look at the T-cell, the malignant T-cell clones and compare that to the myelite compartment that you'd see in the bone marrow, there was remarkable uh, consistency in shared um, mutations between the two compartments. So they had 22 patients that had clonal hematopoiesis in this study. 15 of the 22 had shared mutations between myeloid cells in the bone marrow and those malignant T cells. So the thought is that potentially there's a kind of hematopoietic progenitor clone that can then evolve over time, acquiring potentially new mutations and other things that leads it more down a malignant track. And that's what they saw, that the malignant T cells actually had developed new clones or divergent mutations, things like ROA that are prominent in that, in that cancer. Um, and so it's likely that clonal hematopoiesis, if anything, may set up almost like a niche or a microenvironment that can support the development of a hematologic malignancy as additional mutations are, are acquired and accrued. That's a good point. It's not just the clonal hematopoiesis itself, but you're right, it's kind of making the other immune cells dysfunctional that would normally do some immunosurveillance or prevent this malignant, pre-malignant clones from growing. That's a really good point. That's right. And, and then if you take it a step further, and I think we'll get into this a little bit, but they also had patients that develop therapy-related myeloid neoplasms after treatment for their T-cell lymphoma. And again, they shared very similar mutations in in between the T-cell lymphoma and that therapy-related myeloid neoplasm, but the, the myeloid neoplasm, again, had acquired new mutations that drove it down that path. Fair, which is interesting. Um, maybe, uh, Dr. Rubenstein, only because you offered, that's kind of, we talked about T-cell lymphomas, anything similar that you talk about in myeloma? Yeah, so um, the story, in my, obviously, these, this is an evolving story, and I think it probably is the case that clonal hematopoiesis and the underlying hematologic malignancy, unrelated malignancy, both modify the microenvironment and may promote uh, development of the other disease process. In myeloma, you know, we were, um, uh, you know, 
constructing this review, there's definitely uh, more proposed mechanisms by which myeloma can promote the development of clonal hematopoiesis as opposed to the other way around. Uh, so just a few potential mechanisms that may contribute to this. Um, so there's a study uh, demonstrating that uh, uh, myeloma cells may release extracellular vesicles that dysregulate hematopoietic stem cell growth. Um, so specifically in the presence of uh, myeloma-released extracellular vesicles, you have uh, dose-dependent reductions of hematopoietic stem cell viability and colony formation, um, as well as a relative reduction in uh, like healthy myeloid progenitor cells. So you may have a mechanism there by which multiple myeloma uh, rele cells release extracellular vesicles into the microenvironment and promote um, expansion of clonal hematopoiesis clones. Uh, there's also a shared uh, uh, reliance on interleukin-6 uh, between multiple myeloma, uh, its critical growth factor in multiple myeloma, and is mechanistically behind a lot of the cardinal findings in multiple myeloma. Um, multiple CRAB features are driven more by IL-6 than anything else. Uh, so that, you know, IL-6 dysregulation is a, a cardinal feature of clonal hematopoiesis also. Um, so, uh, and then ad additionally, uh, you have changes in uh, the immune surveillance cells in the myeloma microenvironment, uh, specifically regulatory T cells and gamma delta T cells that may promote um, viability of clonal hematopoiesis clones as well. So um, I, I don't know which is first, the chicken or the egg, but it may be that um, you know my, myeloma may play more of a role in promoting and sustaining CH than the other way around. Absolutely so. And to both of your points, it seems to kind of snowball that as immune surveillance gets worse, as the myeloma clone grows and grows, the kind of problems are severe, a little bit out of control. Um, and that's just, you know, at diagnosis, uh, you mentioned, Dr. Meyer, briefly about the idea of therapy-related neoplasms and so forth. So maybe we can pivot to therapy because I'm sure, you know, probably almost any therapy that we use for lymphoma or myeloma, but in particular, you know, alkylating chemotherapy or so forth probably does put cells at risk of developing more mutations, including hematopoietic cells. So just maybe focus on transplants. So obviously, uh, you know, in myeloma, we use melphalan typically as a single drug as a mainstay of therapy for trauma-eligible patients. For lymphoma, although the world is kind of changing a little bit, but for both Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's, you might talk about, for example, a beam autotransplant for refractory mm -hmm. disease. Can you talk about how transplant affects the landscape of clonal hematopoiesis and either malignancy? Yeah, so I can I can start first and talk briefly about the lymphoma side. Um, so certainly when you're talking about bone marrow transplant, there's a lot that goes into that and in, in how you're affecting the bone marrow microenvironment. And I think a, an interesting thing is, is when you're talking about inflammation, um, outside of kind of what we do to deplete the bone marrow, there's increased inflammation post-transplant. And what they've actually shown is that these clones, um, uh, the that emerge from clonal hematopoiesis actually have a selective growth advantage under those conditions. They upregulate antioxidant genes, anti-inflammatory genes. So with all this going on, you're depleting the bone marrow, you're increasing inflammation in the setting of a transplant. Any of those clones that are persisting automatically have a head start in terms of their growth post-transplant. And so looking at that, when you look at studies, I think though the, the effect of clonal hematopoiesis pre-transplant on outcomes post-transplant is kind of a mixed bag. There's, sure. There are studies that certainly show 
that there's a negative consequence in terms of overall survival post-transplant, particularly when you're looking at lymphoma. Uh, a big study out of Dana-Farber looking at over 400 patients, uh, 120 of those had evidence of CHIP or clonal hematopoiesis at the time of diagnosis um, ahead of uh, autologous transplant. Um, those patients that had that had uh, increased incidence of therapy-related myeloid neoplasms, a 10% increase over those who didn't, and their overall survival was half uh, at, at five to 10 years of, of those who, who didn't have CH. And that was attributed both to increased incidence of therapy-related neoplasms, but also kind of non-relapse mortality. There's a huge impact that we know of on clonal hematopoiesis on other health effects, particularly cardiovascular disease. So in that study, increased cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease-related deaths was a big factor in, in those increased deaths that they saw. Taken on the other side, there's a, there's a large Danish study, close to 600 patients, 20, 20 to 25% of them had evidence of clonal hematopoiesis before transplant, and there wasn't any difference in overall survival in that, in that cohort post-autologous uh, transplant. So I think, again, it, it's context-dependent. It depends on what mutations that you're really calling or, or ascertaining here are important. So it, it's, it's still a mixed bag, and, and more research is certainly needed. Absolutely. And a good reminder that I think we all think about transplant-related mortality or some sort of a direct you know, the lymphoma coming back because of the clonal hematopoiesis or secondary malignancy, but you're right, the cardiovascular risk factors of clonal hematopoiesis are kind of screaming out at us that we have to keep an eye on them, especially after transplant. Um, I'll pivot to you, Dr. Rubenstein. How about for yeah. myeloma? So myeloma, um, it's a similar story of um, <clears throat> um, some, some conflicts in the data. Um, so uh, regarding the prognostic implications, so uh, a similar study out of the same institution, Dana-Farber, um, they've led a lot of the CH work, including defining it as a disease entity, um, demonstrates um, inferior overall survival after autologous transplant for patients who have clonal hematopoiesis. Uh, very interestingly, it's a heterogeneously treated cohort. And as uh, you know, of course, and many listening will know a standard of care is to offer lenalidomide maintenance after autologous stem cell transplant. Uh, it seems that the adverse uh, prognostic implications of clonal hematopoiesis are disproportionate, nearly limited to those who do not receive lenalidomide maintenance after a stem cell transplant on that study. So CH and no imid maintenance, worst prognosis, um, imid maintenance, uh, lenalidomide maintenance in the vast majority of cases, um, uh, may overcome some of the impairment, uh, in, in prognosis associated with CH prior to transplant. The story on whether Melfland conditioning, um, uh, promotes clonal expansion of CH clones. There are conflicting studies to that effect. Um, uh, you have one relatively large uh, study, uh, heterogeneous population of patients with myeloma and patients with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, but um, many with myeloma um, did, did not have significant uh, evidence of clonal evolution longitudinally after transplant. Um, uh, you have a larger um, clonal tracing study that followed patients for longer uh, that demonstrated immediately in the you know, immediate uh, peritransplant period of 
about a six-fold uh, expansion in clonal hematopoiesis clones that remained relatively stable thereafter. Um, so you probably, it stands to reason you would get some modest selection by the mechanisms uh, Dr. Meyer was mentioning of CH clones. The impact of that on uh, the ex expansion in and of itself on prognosis is not entirely clear. Uh, one twist in the story that uh, myeloma that diverges from the lymphoma story is, um, so Dr. Meyer mentioned that in patients with lymphoma, the adverse prognostic um, implications of CH are driven mostly by non-relapse mortality, um, cardiovascular events, et cetera. In myeloma, um, by contrast, it's increased myeloma relapse um, that seems to be associated with more of the um, uh, uh, mortality events that are seen in clonal hematopoiesis patients. So they're at risk for earlier relapse of disease. Um, the interesting common thread, which I think surprised me, if you'd asked me to, uh, you know, we uh, spent a lot of time reviewing the literature for this. And if you'd asked me what I would have thought we would have come up with, I would have said some of the mortality differences that are seen may be due to more TMNs in patients with CH. Interestingly, that does that's not really the, the major contributor to the um, adverse prognostic implications of CH in either clonally unrelated hematologic malignancy space. And to pivot on that point of kind of secondary neoplasms, I'll ask, I, I'm surprised to hear the first study you mentioned that patients who got lenalidomide maintenance didn't have, CH wasn't worse for those patients. I would imagine that probably len, image is probably worse than everything. It's a little off topic, but it does somewhat fit with the determination story, um, which um, shows, uh, you know, transplant itself driving most of the increase in myeloid malignancies um, unfortunately, patients who don't get a transplant seem to make up for it with more lymphoid malignancies. Um, but I would say, yeah, it's a bit surprising that we did this, um, worked on this before determination read out, but I think that story is, is con I would say it's concordant. I completely agree. And that's a really good segue to, you know, some of the trials coming out in terms of autotransplant. Maybe I'll pivot and I'm biased. I love autotransplant, but I love CAR-T therapy even more. And, uh, you know, in your review, which is a very great review, I think all of you in the audience will post, post a link to it so all of you can take a look at it because it's really compelling. A lot of background that Dr. Meyer and Dr. Rubenstein are kind of just summarizing here was the story of, you know, TH and CLL CAR T therapy. And for example, one anecdote of that patient who actually had a better response paradoxically because of their CH. Can you just walk us through that story? Yeah. So this is, this is a very interesting story. And I'm also, quite interested in, in CAR T-cells and CAR T-cell research. So I was, I was very intrigued by this. So this came out of UPenn and it was early on in their kind of CD19 CAR T trials. And they had one patient in particular, as I think a 78 year old who had multiple relapse refractory CLL that got CAR T's on this, on this study. And Interestingly, he actually got two infusions of CAR T cells. So he got the first infusion, had severe CRS. They gave tocilizumab to kind of shut that down. And then he had progressive disease. So there was concern that maybe the anti-L6 therapy had affected the expansion of, of the CAR Ts and, and how they were functioning. So he got a second infusion. And even after the second infusion, he initially showed signs of disease progression and it was unclear kind of what, what the course was going to be. And then all of a sudden, about two months after the second infusion, they 
as they were tracking his CAR T population, they saw a spike in the number of CAR T cells. And with that, a month, two months after that, and then by six months, his CLL was completely eradicated. And when they looked deeper and kind of sequenced the T cell receptors and kind of the clones that were present that made up the CAR T population, it was pretty striking in that 94% of the CAR T cells at that peak were from a single clone, which is insane when you think about it. And in looking at that clone, what was particularly interesting is that the CAR T, because we have to virally introduce it, where it inserted in kind of the genome, because it can be random, was in an intron of TET2. And when they did kind of more elaborate in vitro studies, they showed that that resulted in a early stop codon. So you got a loss of function TET2 impact there. And, and when they kind of sequenced the other allele that was kind of present on, on his cells, they also found that he carried a hypomorphic TET2 mutation as well. So you have now biallelic kind of TET2 effects. And, and what they showed actually, which is, which is quite interesting, is in that context from a CAR-T standpoint, it resulted in epigenetic modification of the CAR T cells that uh, favored cell cycle progression and proliferation of the CAR T cells, but at the same time restricted their differentiation to a more stem-like state. They were more central memory T cells, which we know from a T cell and a CAR T cell standpoint is advantageous for a couple of things. One, they know that they proliferate better, they also have a higher anti-tumor potential and they can be kind of pluripotent as compared to other patients that they looked at where the CAR T cells were mostly effector memory or effector T cells, which have less of that potential. So this clonal evo uh, evolution, this clonal hematopoiesis that occurred in this patient where you had emergence of the single clone was a good thing. I mean, it essentially eradicated CLL. And what I thought was even more interesting is when they looked five years out, 14, 15% of his cells were still restricted to that one clone, which is, which is unbelievable when you're talking about T-cell persistence. So it gets into when you're talking about CAR T-cells, which is kind of the holy grail of T-cell work. How can we get these cells to persist longer to kind of carry out their effects and anti-tumor effects? Now, whether this is going to kind of shift how we think about incorporating or designing CAR-T therapy is, is yet to be determined. Other newer studies have kind of shown certainly that CAR-T cells in the context of clonal hematopoiesis may have better rates of CR, they might have better rates of overall survival, but at the expense of potentially more toxicity, so more CRS, more neurotoxicity. So mechanistically, is it more inflammation with the CH present there that's kind of propelling CAR-T and, and its effect forward? We don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting question and, and be very exciting to see kind of where it goes in the future. Great. Well, and I think for like the journalists of the world, it's kind of a fighting fire with fire. You know, you have the cells that are growing, are growing out of control and you tell the CAR-T cells, all right, you guys start growing out of control now and see what happens. But that's actually a good point that it was not so much that they were proliferating uncontrollably is that they were expanding, but as you're saying, kind of maintaining that memory phenotype, not getting exhausted, not becoming effector T cells as much. And I think yeah. that's important. 
there's obviously so much more that we could talk about here. You know, I think one of the big topics in glomerulonephritis is how it affects, for example, allogeneic transplants, not just for lymphoma or myeloma, but for all blood cancers like leukemia in terms of donor-related glomerulonephritis. But again, that's a whole other hour lecture in and of itself, so we'll save that for another day. Um, any other parting words or thoughts about CH or CHIP or CCUS that you want to convey to the audience? It's a, a fruitful area of research, and uh, there's a lot more questions that we have now than answers. Um, how all these considerations tangibly impact management of clonally unrelated hematologic malignancies is at this time very unclear. Um, so I, I think uh, very interesting. Hopefully we will learn um, uh, better how to make use of this information and in optimizing management for patients in the coming years. Agreed. And if the testing becomes available and we have a utility for it to actually make it accessible for patients practically right now, understandably, it's kind of more of a research lab setting, but yeah. I think the potential is there. And once we figure out how to use it, I think there's a lot of things we could do with that type of knowledge. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Meyer. Thank you, Dr. Rubenstein, for your time. This has been an excellent podcast. I learned quite a bit from this, and I'm sure the audience did as well about this astrobet soup of acronyms, but importantly, CH and how it affects our care and our prognostication of patients with blood cancers. Uh, my name is Dr. Banerjee. This has been a podcast for Oncology Data Advisor. Thank you all for your time and have a good day. Thank you for listening to Oncology Data Advisor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. In addition to our podcast, the Oncology Data Advisor site features expert perspectives and news stories on the latest in cancer research and treatments, all found at oncdata.com. Thank you.